You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let's now open God's Word to Hebrews chapter 11. We'll read Hebrews 11 verse 24 to 12 verse 3. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, He kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Now we come to the text for the sermon this morning, verses 1 through 3 of Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Beloved congregation, Christ Jesus our Lord, I'll bet that most of us remember the last time 
we ran a race. Even if we have to go back many, many years, most of us know what it's like to be at the start line waiting for the signal to go. And then when that signal comes, then we run. And we run. And some of us came in the top three and received a ribbon. And others, like me, were in the race to make others look good. It's this image that's used in our text for this morning. The image of a race. It's an image that was common in the ancient world, and it's one that's still common today. It's timeless. The picture of a a group of people running around a track or running around a course gunning for the prize. But the image of the race in our text is a little bit different than what we may be accustomed to when we think of a race. Most of the time when we race, we race to win. It's especially the case with sprints and races that are over relatively short distances. But when it comes to things like 10Ks and half marathons and marathons and even ultra marathons, then our goals often shift. The people who run those distances with winning times are an elite few. For most of the people who run long distances, their goal is simply to finish. Or perhaps to finish with a half-decent time, to beat the time that they, they did the last time around. If I were running a marathon, I think I would be one of those people who would be just happy to finish. You see, the goals change when the distance is longer. And it's that image of a long-distance race that's being used here in Hebrews. In this race, the goal is not to beat the others who are running. Rather, the goal is to finish. The race of faith in a broken world full of obstacles is a test of endurance. It's not a sprint, but an ultra-marathon. And it's this race that we're all in together as God's people. So this morning, let's listen together to God's Word this morning as it's summarized with the theme, Run the Race. We'll consider the participants in the race, the way to run the race, and then finally, the motivation for the race. Well, we read part of Hebrews 11, and I mentioned that Hebrews 11, if we'd read the whole chapter, you would have seen a long list of Old Testament characters who lived by faith in God's promises, the promises that would lead to Christ. The author says, I've defined faith. He says that in uh, chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. Now, you want to know what faith looks like? Look in the Bible. Look in the Old Testament. You'll find many Many examples. And then chapter 12 begins with a therefore. And actually, that therefore is noteworthy. In Greek, that form of that word is found in only one other place in the New Testament. You find the word therefore used many, many times, but most of the time it's a very common word. But this is a rare word. It's unusual. It's a very strong form of therefore. It's like the author wants to, to put the word in bold, underlined, italics, 16-point font. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great crowd, cloud of witnesses, 
All those people in chapter 11 have finished the race of faith. They're now part of the crowd watching the race. And not just watching, but cheering. Cheering on those who are still running. They're not just spectators, but they're witnesses. That means that they can testify to the fact that the race can be finished. By God's grace, they've done it. And so when we ask about who runs this race, we can first of all look to the past. The race has been going on for millennia. The Old Testament patriarchs ran it. The apostles have run it. The early church has run it. Believers in the Middle Ages have run it. For many of us, our great-grandparents, grandparents and parents have run or are running it. There's a great cloud of witnesses from the past attesting to the fact that the race can be finished. It is doable. It's doable. Not because of anything that rests in man, but because of the author and perfecter of faith. The writer of Hebrews, as he so characteristically does elsewhere, directs us to Jesus. Why is that? Because he, more than anybody else, ran the race and ran it well. We're told to fix our eyes on him. Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Well, we're going to look a little bit more later on at what it means exactly to fix our eyes on Jesus. But at this point, let's just take those words, author and perfecter. Let's look at what it means that he is the author and perfecter of faith. When our text says that he is the author of faith, it means that he is the trailblazer. He's the one who has run the race first. We follow in his footsteps. I don't know if you've ever been snowshoeing. There's not a lot of snow around here, so it wouldn't surprise me if you haven't. When we lived up north, we had lots of snow. And if you wanted to go in the bush in the wintertime, you needed to use snowshoes. Well, there was this one time that I went snowshoeing with a young fellow from Fort Babine. I went first, down the trail. It was uh, Nobody had been on that trail before. And then he followed in my footsteps. Now you have to understand that even with snowshoes, if you've got six feet of snow, you still go down maybe three-quarters of a foot. But by following in my footsteps, the whole business of snowshoeing was a lot easier for him because I blazed the trail for him. Jesus is the trailblazer of faith. He has gone on ahead of us. And we look to his footsteps and we walk on his foot in his footsteps. We trust him to lead the way as we run the race. When we lose sight of His footsteps, we decide to go our own way, we're going it alone. And brothers and sisters, this race is not around a track where the way is always clear. This race that we're talking about this morning runs through forests, thick forests, and it runs over mountains. It's a cross-country race. And you could become lost. But keeping in mind that we have the footsteps of Jesus to guide us, we will not become lost. 
living out of our identity in Him, the author, the trailblazer of faith, we'll be kept on the right track, headed for the finish line. And where do we find the footsteps of Jesus so we can follow in them? Well, naturally, we find them in His Word. When we look at the Bible, we see Christ. And that's not just in the New Testament, in the passages that explicitly speak of Him, whether that's in the Gospels or in the Epistles. That's also in the Old Testament. Think of how He walked along the road with the two disciples, the road to Emmaus. How He showed them from the Scriptures how Moses and all the prophets speak of Him. So it's in His whole Word that we find Him. That we find His footsteps. We find Him giving us the map for the race. That's what it means that Jesus is the author of faith. He's also the perfecter of faith. Now before I go further, I should note that our translation adds a word here that is not in the Greek original. It's the word our. The perfecter of our faith is what it says in in the NIV. The word our is not in the original Greek. It literally says that Jesus is the perfecter of faith. And when it says that, it's hearkening back to all those witnesses of the Old Testament listed there in, in chapter 11. Jesus models to perfection the faith displayed by the Old Testament believers. Because their faith wasn't perfect. They often faltered. They tripped. But Christ brings faith to what it should be. In His ministry on earth, He gives us the picture of a perfect race. So in other words, when the author of Hebrews calls Jesus the perfecter of faith, He's saying that He is our model. He is our example. Yes, He is the object of our faith. He is the one in whom we believe. But He is also the perfect exemplar of what faith should look like. And when we consider that, then we realize that yes, He will bring our faith to perfection as well. As we run the race, His Holy Spirit gives us the energy. He energizes us and He helps us to run better and better. However, perfection only comes with the end of the race. Even though we've run the race imperfectly, we've missed turns here and there, occasionally tripping or getting lost, maybe even fainting. The end of the race. God has His declaration that we have run a perfect race. We have won the prize. Because as He watched us run, He didn't see us. He saw Christ, the author and perfecter of the race. Christ was the lens through which he watched us race. Christ's perfections cover all our imperfections. You see, brothers and sisters, the good news is there in those, in those words, the author and perfecter of faith. And so as we've seen, the participants in this race are many. In the past, countless myriads of saints have gone on before us. They cheer us on and they encourage us as we run today, 
but none more so than Christ Himself. The race of faith is the race of faith in Him. It's only in Him that we run the race perfectly before God's face. Let's now consider how our text, our, our text teaches us how to run the race. Let's consider that. And here our text gives us three points about how to run the race. As we consider these three points, we need to remind ourselves that this is the race of faith. It is a race run by those redeemed by Christ. It may seem obvious, but it needs to be said, just in case anybody has missed it, this is not about a way to earn your salvation. Running the race is not about earning the favor of God. Doing something that will make God accept us or love us more. We are accepted in the Beloved. Paul tells us that in Ephesians. We are in Christ. The author to the Hebrews wrote, wrote this letter to believers like us. And keeping that in the front of our minds will safeguard ourselves against turning our running into the Gospel. Our running is not the Gospel. Our running is, the, is our thankful response to the Gospel. It is not the Gospel itself. Keeping that in mind then, the first point about running the race is found in verse 1 where the Spirit says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Even those of us who aren't athletes know that you don't run a race in a three-piece suit. If you're serious about running a race, you wouldn't have a tuba hanging in front of you. These sorts of things would hinder you from running properly. And so think about it. What sorts of things might hinder us from running properly in the race of faith? Now here, we're especially thinking about things that might not necessarily be sinful in themselves. But they have a negative effect on our performance in the race. That's something you need to consider for yourself because everyone's life is different. Are you running the ultra-marathon of faith with a tuba hanging around your neck? Then the author to the Hebrews also mentions the sin that so easily entangles. When we get to this point, all of us, including myself, if we give it any thought, we can identify with this. The image here is from the ancient world. In the ancient world, around the time of Christ, the, the normal outer clothing was a long robe. And normally you couldn't run with that long robe. So you would have to tuck it away so that you wouldn't get tangled up in it. So that you wouldn't trip and you wouldn't fall as you run. This is what they called girding up the loins. Maybe you've heard that expression before. Gird up your loins. That's another way of saying get ready to run. So in this text, the sin that so easily entangles is like this long robe hanging off your body sitting there. It's going to entangle you. It's going to trip you up if you don't do something about it. Well, the same idea is expressed elsewhere in the Bible in a couple of different ways. Paul describes it. 
as the putting off of the old nature. Christ describes it in Matthew 5 as what we could call radical amputation. He said, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. That's radical, isn't it? That's amputation. And so we call it radical amputation. Christ says that if there's anything in your life that's leading you to sin, chop it off and get rid of it. As a a practical application of this teaching, I know a man who does a lot of traveling. In fact, he's an airline pilot. He stays in a lot of hotels and these hotels have TVs. These TVs have channels and shows that, that Christians should never watch. And for this person, it's been a problem for him in the past. So whenever he comes to a hotel, as he's checking in, he asks the hotel staff to take the TV out of his hotel room. Sure, it's awkward. People give him some funny looks. But he, he knows it's necessary. That's radical amputation. A good example. That's throwing off the sin that so easily entangles. And brothers and sisters, where might we need the same kind of throwing off, the same kind of radical amputation in our lives? And again, don't confuse this with the Gospel. This is simply where the Gospel takes us, where it leads us. If God has saved us through Christ, by His free grace and mercy, let us throw off the sin that so easily entangles as we live our life of faith. So lose anything that will slow you down. That's the first way to run the race. The second way is also in the first verse. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Having made ourselves aerodynamic, so to speak, it's time to fly. We're called to run the race. In other words, we're not out for a leisurely stroll. Running means there's a sense of awareness of the urgency. And this is reflected in what we do. Reflected in our actions, our words, our behaviors. We're called to run with perseverance. That's the part of running related to our wills and our minds. Perseverance means We don't give up. Failure is not an option. We've got our hearts and minds set on finishing the race. And by God's grace, nothing will stop us. And we're called to run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Every now and then I get an email from the running room store advertising a race, usually in some exotic location, usually for some charitable cause. If I wanted to, and I haven't yet, I suppose I could choose to run in one of these races. But in the scenario in our text, you do not have a choice as to which race you're going to run. God has laid out the course. God has marked out the race for us. You don't choose 
which race to run as a believer. The sovereign God has decided the race best for us. And if we think that we can choose another race, we'll quickly find out that the finish line doesn't bring relief, doesn't bring joy or true rest. Rather, we need to run the race of true faith that's mapped out for us in God's revelation in Scripture. So get rid of the stuff that slows you down. Run the race marked out with perseverance. Now we come to the third point, and this is what is of the greatest importance. The writer of Hebrews tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now we come to those words, fix our eyes. When he says that, fix our eyes, he uses a word which means something like direct your attention away from the others and focus now on this person. In other words, you've got the cloud of witnesses on the sidelines and they're encouraging you and that has its value. It's good to know that. But what you really need more than anything else is to focus on the one who is at the finish line. Look there and you'll see Jesus. Now it's worth noting that he uses the name Jesus. Most often the author of Hebrews uses the title Christ. He doesn't often use the personal name Jesus. But here it's Jesus. And for good reason. He wants us to see him in his humanity with the suffering that he endured. It was in his human nature that he ran the race of faith in his earthly ministry. We're told that he endured the cross for the joy set before him. That means that as part of his humiliation, he exchanged the glory that was his for a life of suffering culminating in death on a cross. He traded joy for pain so that we could be accepted by God, so that we could enter into the joy of our Master. Fix your eyes on Jesus and you see a man who endured the cross, scorning its shame. It's good for us to remember today where crosses have and kind of robbed of their power. It's good for us to remember that the cross was a, a place of shame in that culture. It's really hard to find a parallel in our world today. At least, I can't think of one. If you can, please let me know. Our culture and society doesn't really use shame as an instrument of social control. At least not to the same degree as the Greco-Roman world. To die on a cross was the ultimate insult, the ultimate slap in the face, the ultimate shame in the world of that day. This is what Jesus endured. He scorned the shame. That means that He held it in contempt. He made light of it. When He ran the race, He suffered like no one else ever has in the history of the world. And when we look to the finish line, we see a Savior who has passed through unimaginable suffering. He went through this suffering 
And then he sat down at the right hand of God as a king. He mentions the throne, right? That evokes the image of a ruler. Through suffering to glory. First humiliation and then exaltation. That was the pattern of his life. And when we run the race, we know that the pattern, that pattern is there for us too. This past week, the latest issue of Time Magazine arrived at our house. Perhaps you've seen it too. The cover story is entitled, Does God Want You to Be Rich? The authors of the story describe how people like Joel Osteen and and Joyce Meyer, they teach that believing in Jesus will lead to wealth, prosperity, and glory in this life. Their teachings are popular, but they are dead wrong. They miss the point here in our text. The race of faith is not found in wealth and prosperity and all manner of material blessings. Being able to fly a business jet to your next speaking engagement. The race of faith is illustrated in the pattern of Christ's life. Passing through suffering and trials to attain glory in the age to come. This is what it means for us to be in Christ. We share in the pattern of His life as we run the race of faith. Fixing our eyes on Him in faith, we are united to Him. And so, we bear our crosses, as He told us we would do. The so-called gospel of the prosperity preachers will leave you running a different race. In fact, you could visualize it as, as running on a spiritual treadmill. You go nowhere. At the end, you're tired. And that's it. Instead of that dead end race, that spiritual treadmill that goes nowhere, fix your eyes on Jesus and run the race. Seeing Him and focusing on Him, we know what the race will be like. We also know are comforted by the fact that there is a rest for the people of God. As He sat down in glory at the right hand of His Father, so there is also a place that He has prepared for us. We will reign with Him eternally. Glory, brothers and sisters, is not in the middle of the race. Glory is at the end of the race where Jesus waits. Let's now briefly consider our motivation for this race. Verse 3 continues the thought of fixing our eyes on Jesus, this time with the, the added nuance of giving us the motivation for the race. There's a command, consider Him who endured such opposition from sinful men. As we read these words, we're reminded to reflect on the suffering of our Lord Jesus as He lived among us. On this earth, sinful men were hostile to Him. They opposed Him. They did everything they could to subvert Him, to subvert His ministry and the truth of what He was teaching. They plotted and they schemed against Him. They did everything they could to make His race 
an obstacle course that could not be finished. You see, brothers and sisters, our Lord Jesus was not surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. He was surrounded by a cloud of hooligans. While He was running, they were in the stands. Yes, there they were, but they were throwing rotten tomatoes and rotten eggs at Him. They stuck out their legs and they tried to trip Him up. Do whatever they could so that He would not finish. In other words, if you think your race is rough, think about Jesus. Think about what He went through. Look at the story of His life on earth and you'll know that your race is like a walk through Stanley Park on a sunny day in comparison. The author of Hebrews compels us to reflect on what Christ endured for us. And as we do that, we'll be motivated and we'll be energized by His Spirit for our race of faith. We're told to consider Him so that we'll not grow weary and lose heart. Looking at the One who went it alone for us, looking at Him, we're not going to get tired, not going to get discouraged, not going to fall out of the race. Perhaps you've heard of how runners and other athletes use positive positive mental imagery to motivate themselves. Motivate themselves to victory. They imagine themselves at the end of the race. They get this mental picture of them at the end of the race with the gold medal around their neck and everybody cheering. They visualize victory and then it's supposed to happen. I think they call this uh, self-actualization. Well, the Christian race is different. We don't self-actualize. We Christ-actualize. We don't focus on ourselves and our ability to do it, telling ourselves, I know I can, I know I can. I can see myself doing it. I've got the power. But we focus on Christ. We remind ourselves, He did it. He did it. He will do it in me too. He is doing it in me too, as He has done it in so many others. I chose this text to preach on this morning because it's a sort of kickoff to our season of home visits. The consistory chose commitment to Christ as the theme. This text speaks about commitment to Christ. And it shows us that commitment to Christ is not about deeds, not about what we do, though it is included. It's not the main thing. Commitment to Christ, the main thing about commitment to Christ is that it's about faith. It's about focusing all our attention on Christ, running the race with our eyes fixed on Him. And brothers and sisters, if we think that commitment to Christ is about what we do, about our deeds, then I have some bad news. Commitment to Christ will not save us. But if we believe that commitment to Christ is about faith in Christ, taking hold of the Christ by faith, the Christ who is committed to the Father, the Christ who suffered and died for us, the Christ who rose for us and who now intercedes for us as we run, then yes, 
There is salvation in that. There's good news in that. Brothers and sisters, as we run, let's not lose our focus on the Gospel. Let's continue fixing our eyes on Jesus. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.